0: So I'm gonna ask you a question because there's something that you said during the interview that I didn't quite understand. Okay. And it you said it's about the quality of the quantitative and the quantity of your qualitative. Can you explain that?
1: Of the qualitative.
0: What did I say?
1: Qualitative. Do I need I... to say
0: that again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we should keep it. But...
0: Okay. Welcome to this special Roundup one-year anniversary episode when Andrew and I explore some of our favourite takeaways from the last season and look ahead to the next. Andrew, it's so lovely to be here celebrating one year of Beeline. I'll be honest, it feels a lot longer than a year.
1: Um, (laughs) well that's because you've listened to every episode about 16 (laughs) times as you've been kind of going through editing and getting rid of my ums and ahs
0: this is absolutely true and my goodness there are a lot of ums and ahs no you're very good
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we do every one in pretty much one take so i'm i'm pretty pleased with that and i've been so wrapped up in the conversations and i think all of them have really flowed for me it's been you know, just this wealth of exchange of insight and sparking new interests and ideas. I've yeah really enjoyed the process. So, you know, thanks for finding great people.
0: Well, I've loved hearing your conversations and it's always been so nice to hear back from them afterwards and hear that they've really enjoyed it. Hmm. Looking back, what what were we trying to achieve when we came up with this crazy idea to create a podcast? What is it we wanted to do?
1: I think for me, it's about reaching out to leaders who, of course, ultimately we would like to work with, with the Hive, right? We're all about helping people lead transformation, but I don't think everybody's always ready to push go on the button the first time they hear that we exist or the kind of the work that we do. So there's, for me, a community of leaders who I know we are out there because we've been speaking with you as as our listeners, um, who are keen to lead change and are kind of curious about what's really working for other people, looking for ideas, looking at ways of tweaking what it is they're aiming to do, or indeed building consensus around what it is that they want to do um, in order to, to affect real change in their organizations. So I think there are some good people out there who know that they want to lead with some sense of purpose and create positive impact. But it's that big question of how and when Can I push go? And for me, it's Mm. always been about how do we nurture that community of leaders and support people who are leading that change to see things through to completion in the best possible way?
0: Yes. And giving some really good practical tips to actually be able to implement those suggestions.
1: Well, that's it. I mean, that's what I love about the whole Beeline concept and the way that we've structured things of uh, that okay so where are you now where do you want to be and how do you get there what is the shortest possible path to get to where it is that you want to be I think that's that's really worked and you know I, th- that's how we approach things right that's I mean the hive logo is all about you know where you are where you want to be and that bridge between the two that, so I mean it's, it's a deep sense of who we are as an organization but I think that's been the most consistent feedback that I've heard from listeners saying that they really like the format. It's kind of, you, you really sit with a problem. You really sit with what good looks like. And then it's like, okay, what do I need to do to get there, to to overcome these challenges? And so I think practical, implementable, actionable stuff um, seems to be the big the big outcome. And we had a lot of really good stuff in this last season as well.
0: We did. Let's let's have a think back to some of those amazing insights we gained from our guests. Uh, so Daniel, Daniel Hammond was Daniel our first guest. Daniel
1: Hammond. Oh, I've never felt so inadequate as a human being. I mean, <laughs> I mean paratrooper extraordinaire who yeah. found himself owning a small army in South America. I mean, quite <laughs> surreal. Um, but, you know, and yet here's somebody who is now, you know, fully focused on that customer driven leadership. And it just speaks to so much of Mm. our training at The Hive and of of trying to get in the sense of a servant leader and how do you support them. But to have that kind of codified, structured, implementable is, is a really positive thing. So, yeah, I love that conversation. Yes. It's that team A serving team B serving team c it's all those internal customers he was talking about who then ultimately serve the customers like you you know when you've got that focus that goes throughout the organizations how do i help you help who you need to help in order to deliver the help that we want to help yeah you know Yeah. yeah
0: and that's all about everybody being on the same page really so they know they're not working in silo what they are doing is helping to achieve that ultimate goal and it's really important that we support each other to do that so yeah i love that and also i love this idea that he talked about which was when your customers are dealing with your people do they know what your values are through the behavior of your people the people who you you employ is that you know resonated through their actions through the way they speak through the way yeah. i love that idea
1: yeah it's got to be real hasn't it and I know I've looked at some of our values in the past as an organization and kind of gone, do you know what? We could be better there. You know, and I think that's what I love about our kind of our, our wash-ups. The retrospective where we kind of go, all right, then what was that experience? What could we have done better? What did we do well? And it, it, it's that quote that Daniel said from from John Maxwell, who we'd worked with, that, that great leadership guru of experience doesn't make you better, but evaluated experience does you know evaluated experience that one really stuck with me it's uh it's a kind of a post-it note on your on your monitor kind of quote it's like unless we actually evaluate what we've done it doesn't mean toffee it's just something that happened
0: it's so true and I think so many of us you know we have so many responsibilities we've got our tick sheet we're just ticking off those things we need to do but so the evaluation part often just gets left behind but it's the most important otherwise you're just never going to learn
1: Michael Crow I I love my conversations with Michael Crow I mean such astute observations it's quite penetrating insight it's it's really powerful mm. stuff and he was all around you know surrendering control empowering your teams your, and your business you know how do you get to that point where you're really thriving as, as an organization what stuck with you
0: I think for me, the importance of recognizing that everybody in your organization has aspirations and that it's really important you know what they are and that you give them the opportunity to progress and develop as a person and in terms of career as well, because, you know, I've worked at places where that just doesn't exist and you do just end up feeling so apathetic. You know, what's the point? Where am I going? Does anyone care? can anyone see me? Hello? So it's so, so important. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew.
1: One thing that that Michael said was that as a team, you've got to feel like you're growing, you've got to feel like you're succeeding, you've got to feel like you're adding value. I think we're pretty good at that. Mm. Because I think that the challenge is when when you're working on, say, for instance, bringing something new to market or trying to also educate your your market base about things that you will you not know, we've got some innovations about the way that we approach things you know that people centric approach that that can be quite different to a lot of organizations i think you know kind of helping people understand that um, does take time and so on a big project like that it can feel like it, it's a long time can go by before you feel like you're succeeding you know mm. so i think mm-hmm. as a leader that's a really important part of our job is to show those milestones where you you can say look okay so that's not the big goal sure we've got our big goal but you know what this milestone along the way is success is a breakthrough moment that is you adding value and this is how this contributes to the big thing that we're trying to achieve it's it's trying to give find almost find excuses to give that credit and that recognition and that support because otherwise we're just rewarding people every time they they do a good job with just more work towards the, the goal right
0: Yes, I was speaking to someone the other day about um, they were saying something like, uh, you shouldn't work too hard, because then they'll give you more work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If you're too good at your job, they're just going to keep giving you more stuff to do. And I was like, wow, okay, that's interesting. Um, And I think, yeah, but what you're talking about is just investment, isn't it? It's a slow progress. It's about planting that seed, slowly, slowly watering it you know looking after it talking to it and those things will grow and it takes time
1: one thing from michael as well as this whole sense of being really grounded and present
0: mm.
1: you know particularly when things go wrong you know just taking a breath tuning in look at where you are look at what your teams are and then from that kind of moment of pause you can then make a much better decision about how you move forward in a way that's healthy and useful. And that has kind of covered off all the bases and affected in all the variables, you know, I think it's, the danger is that we react, isn't it? And if we react, then we're not responding consciously. And it's that reaction, I think, that is just the classic, stereotypical, dreadful boss, it's just, you know, coming in, making a whole bunch of noise about the tiniest little thing, and then causing a whole bunch of disruption going away and leaving everybody else to, to pick up the pieces. it's that that reactive thing and I think you know it it happens it does get you know we we can make mistakes the question is though are we consistently working to build that buffer between in stressful scenarios how how we respond to that situation you know um, after that initial emotional reaction
0: yeah absolutely and and is it healthy is it useful you know is it kind Mm -hmm. what's that thing you say all the time I love that
1: yeah, I think you just nailed it, isn't it? It's kind of like, no, is, this, I don't is think it so. true? Is it necessary? Is it kind?
0: Yeah, I love that. Sorry, that's a complete sort of, I've taken a, a sidestep there, but it's just reminded me of that thing you say. And that that you talk about using that when you're giving someone feedback, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to get yeah. that kind bit in is really important, I think. Mm. I think it touches on that whole radical candor book by Kim Scott. And she just captures that idea perfectly that you've got to challenge directly, sure, because otherwise we don't learn, we don't grow. But also, you've got to care personally. And trying to get that balance right is really careful. Mm-hmm. It's a careful thing to strike.
0: Yes. It's, you know, just the word kindness is just very important not to forget. What about teresa teresa destrabeck
1: ah teresa is it's just that kind of gentle reminder that we all learn stuff but we don't do anything with it and we've got a great <laughs> new soundbite and um we, you can use it to justify our original thinking you know that confirmation bias uh, i like that book because it says all the things that i like to do anyway um, or we leave it as a cerebral thing that that doesn't actually change our behaviors. And what I love about Teresa's approach with um, kind of book circles within organizations that say, all right, then look, here's the book. Let's create the space. Let's discuss it. Let's explore it let have those learning experiences as leaders as well, turning up with your teams, talking it through and exploring it. But you're also saying, I disagree with it, you know, or, or, or for these mm-hmm. reasons or um, just, and, and allowing yourselves to be challenged by that. I think it, it really helps to embed that learning it, and to make it real, to get some value out of it and, and constantly stay in that growth mindset. I think that's just so important
0: explain to me confirmation bias what does that mean
1: so confirmation bias is when for instance i decide that um i think that all pigs fly and i i then go start looking on the internet to try and find evidence that pigs do fly and Yeah, I I find something in the corner. The minute I find some obscure reference to something that says, hey, look, this pig is flying. I go, ah, there you go. I knew it. And therefore, all the evidence to the contrary, I could now ignore because my bias has now been confirmed by an external source. Got it. Yeah. So which is why we end up with these kind of like uh, these echo chambers in our social media, because we, we like all the things that biases. And then we end up in a kind of a click cycle where just everything that comes up is just reconfirming those biases as well, and it creates isolation in communities. and And we've all, you know, experienced that in various different ways um, throughout social media in the last decade. But I think it, it's something that really happens a lot in organizations. has been going on for a long time anyway, because you know the minute you start getting into silos, that's kind of where it's at, right? We, you know, everybody's kind of saying, well, this is the way things are. And from in a different part of the organization they could be saying something completely different but because you're not exposed to those differing points of view then you just end up with different realities and when then you get organizations which are separated segregated and and, and find it very difficult to function it's fine when it's working fine but the minute change yeah. happens Nobody knows how to work with each other or to collaborate or to deal with that change. And yeah. of course, change is now happening faster than ever. So culture becomes more and more important to make sure that we've got that diversity, that equity, that inclusion, those challenging perspectives that help us to see things from more than one point of view. Because guaranteed, your point of view is is right for you. And my point of view is right for me. And both of those things can be right at the same time. That's great. That That's our situation, right? Those differing points of view. Now, now how do we move forward from there? It's mm. just about letting go of this need to convince you that I'm right or to change your yeah. opinion, but to recognize that your opinion is valid to mi- is just as valid to mine. And both of those exist. And that's how that's our shared situation.
0: Crikey. I love it when you get on your soapbox. <laughs> 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 that was brilliant. And then, of course, after Teresa, we had the most wonderful Ian Tilling. I don't know if you know him.
1: I've come across him once or twice.
0: <laughs> what a lovely man!
1: I'm intrigued on your perspective on this one because you know, obviously, I've had a chat with my dad quite a few times uh, over the years, never quite as in depth as that with regards to his experience. And uh, for me, it was a it was a you know precious experience. But
0: mm.
1: before I go into that, what were, what were your big takeaways? What?
0: Well, I mean i I loved conversations I think your dad has so much to say his I mean the stories I just lapped them up how he managed to motivate hundreds of vehicles to head off to Romania you know in convoy I mean it's extraordinary when you think about it from a kind of a logistics point of view and just then, you know, when he arrives in Romania and this whole thing about the stamp, you know, that he just literally created a stamp via rubbing on a coin on the thing because that's what <laughs> they wanted. So give them what they want, you know. But I think, you know, just the the humility and the, the warmth and you can see how much he cares. You know, there's times when he's talking about things and he gets quite emotional. Mm-hmm. So I think for him to have a chance to talk to, to about those experiences was really special and I mean well he's just he's a ledge isn't he <laughs>
1: well he does get invited to a lot of embassy parties so a lot of those stories have been well honed over time I think but, uh, <laughs> of course but what I love about them is that the essence of it does tend to come down to some key principles. And I love the way that he shared those what really stuck with me. And it's a story he's told me before. But the thing is, since that podcast, I have found myself telling that story time and time again. And it's the one where um, basically, you know, he's, he's been in and out of schools, he's not been succeeding, he's not been doing well, he joins this, this new school. And on his first day, his head teacher comes on in and says, "Oi, he telling you come with me and he's thinking oh i'm in trouble now and it's so simple but he says right this is your job you, you've got to dial the speaking clock on the phone every day and you've got to find out what exact time it is and you've got to make sure that every single clock in this school is telling the right time that is your responsibility and how that changed his life just being given some responsibility And how that's been the principle throughout every organization Mm. that he's led, every team that he's led, it's just empower, Mm. empower, 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 not abdicate, delegate, support, you know, lead, but help people to grow and what that does for people. I found myself telling that story time and time again. And, And I think it's really reflective also, to be honest, about the way that we've been brought up as a family. All of us, all of my siblings, have all taken on responsibility very, very early on because we were empowered to do so, and we were encouraged to do so. And it was—it was, was always a—you find a way to get things done, find something that's worth doing, and then find a way to get it done.
0: Mm, that's brilliant. Something that really stuck with me was him talking about how when you're trying to get a person to work in the way you want them to work or to achieve something that is important to you think about them think about how they work and how they might see that differently and they might have a different idea about how to do that which is actually more efficient and more effective because of their own talents you know and I love that thinking about that individual person not just what it is that needs to be done
1: you mentioned something which I thought was really interesting that you know, one of his jobs as a leader is to step in time to time and point out where we've not done things as well as we could have done mm. it was something like that he, he just skipped over it but it really stuck with me it was kind of a and i found myself observing that responsibility a little bit more recently and kind of going all right then you know what i'm gonna it, i think it kind of comes back to that feedback thing again it's like okay look let's just take the moment and just recognize that wasn't in line with our values, or or we could have been more in line with our values. And let's just hold each other to that. And if you've got those key values, those key principles, that purpose, that mission clear, then it becomes so much easier to say, hey, look, that's going off the path, or that's not quite in line. Or, you know, I get what you were trying to do. But actually, what we're trying to do is this, it gives that clarity that you can hold people accountable to in the moment. And, and take that step in that kind of says hey let's let's have a think about what we're doing here I think it's a it's a really mm. important responsibility as a leader I think
0: it reminds me of um, a conversation we had a couple of days ago actually when we were talking about a project as a team that we needed to kind of pause on because we weren't sure and we suddenly had some doubts and we were upset about, or we were worried about how people would feel about pausing it and whatever. And your point was, it kind of, of course, it matters how people feel, but ultimately it's about reacting in the moment, seeing what's gone wrong or seeing what needs changing, and then thinking about how to create the solutions for that. It's about how do we then move forward and carry on with that ultimate goal
1: yeah this is something also i, I get from one of our coaches anna walsh who you know says you know the feedback in the moment uh, or evaluation of a project it's never about trying to talk through what happened it's about making your future selves stronger and if you can keep that focused then it becomes less about um me trying to convince you that ultimately in that moment i was right or that you were wrong and it becomes what can we learn from this and how can we do things better as we progress and that focus that forward focus I think always makes the biggest difference yeah we're going to react in the moment but with a little bit of time and a little bit of focus and a little bit of clarity about what matters we can really move forward and and put ourselves wholeheartedly into something that's far more well, constructive and useful and and adding value which
0: actually kind of Goes with this last thing I wanted to say about a takeaway from your dad's interview, which was this safeguarding and empowering in equal measures. That's often not done well.
1: It's that handing over the keys to the night shelter Mm. that's unstaffed. It's their home. You live there. But having a security team around the corner who mm. who are ready to step in if needs be that's a that's a really powerful image i think for me you know how do we empower and safeguard Boom. i want to say thank you to really yeah. to all the listeners who listened in. actually you know it, it looks like that was our biggest hit as it were we've had more listens for mm. that episode than than any um i think because of those stories but it's uh it is mm. I mean, its two two episode series it's a it's a double header um arguably self-indulgent uh you know because for me it's like how how much of my dad can i capture you know while while we still have him of course hopefully we have him for many decades to come but um life is life but i feel like having captured that this is something really special but if you haven't listened to all those stories um it's well worth having a moment with it it can be difficult listening at times because he's Mm. dealt with some really harrowing things um but the the positive impact that's come from it and the, and a the good humor i think is uh, and <laughs> and of course the the, the leadership learning um yeah. is is well worth uh, sitting through yeah
0: inspired chris stanley <laughs> Chris,
1: i got you know what listening back to that conversation it's like the guys just dripping with well baked if you forgive the catering pun <laughs> experience it's it's evaluated Mm. experience right there's the learning it's uh uh no really powerful really powerful stuff his business story just seems to be one of um really recognizing how he could serve the market better and and that internal market within the catering world as well i um Mm. that question of how do we how do we do things better how do we add value i think is such a powerful thing
0: Yeah, um, I've known Chris since I was 16. And I've worked in Stanley's Cafe. (laughs) And he was the most wonderful boss, always just so calm, nothing ruffled his feathers, because he knew it was all about business. It was all about people. It was about empowering people. It was about learning. And every time he fell down, he picked himself up. He is potentially one of the most inspirational people I know in that sense. He has just gone, okay, that didn't work. So what's next? What have I learned? Let's go.
1: He does say a lot about, you know, find the coach, find the mentor, get a sounding board, could work with somebody who's done it before. You'll learn so much more. You'll you'll accelerate quicker. And I know there's been times when I've been really lost in the, in the midst of a project and determined to do it my way and find a way to do it. Perhaps a little bit narrative from my father but makes perfect sense hang on a minute this is what i want to do anybody done this before what can we learn from why why are we reinventing the wheel all the time mm. you know it's, and on top of which even if you have studied and done the work guaranteed what you studied is already out of date you know exactly it's, it's what's what's current what's useful what and and who's got the baked in experience that you can mm. leverage in
0: <laughs> my favorite thing i don't know why um about what he said in terms of if you walk into a kitchen and like everyone's just talking about East Enders, you know the food's going to be rubbish <laughs> it's brilliant they're,
1: they're not focused on the job right
0: yeah they're not feeling they're not passionate about the food they're cooking they're not passionate about the menu and what they're creating and the experience they're not passionate about the team they're with where they're going What they're achieving, how they're going to solve the problems. It's really brilliant that.
1: And that culture, I think, really extends to the people who are wanting to add that value, who are passionate about the food. If the business that they're in isn't seeing how to address a real market need that's sitting right underneath their noses, or if they're not talking about how they can do things better, guarantee that person's dreaming up a little business of their own right it's like well Mm. i can see the problem nobody's doing it here which means there's opportunity right and if you get that entrepreneurial mindset in your organization and you're not leading entrepreneurial mindset intrapreneurially inside the organization then you know that's putting your own business at risk
0: yeah and what a waste of your energy because they're just going to take it all away i like what he says about teams being reliant on each other and being committed to that reliance, because in a way that might seem wrong because you're suggesting that people are reliant on each other, which, you know, in a way they shouldn't be, they should be able to cope without each other, but actually admitting and owning and knowing that what I do really impacts that person. If I don't do it's also really, really important.
1: Well, this speaks to the whole model that was baked into the seven habits of highly effective people stephen r covey it's moving people through the sense of dependence where i'm dependent on other people for my own success right into a sense of independence all right now i'm i can go out and i can be self-sufficient i can go and make stuff happen great to interdependence, where we are working collaboratively together to create the best possible value or the impact or achieve the best possible results. And it's that letting go of independence is just as important as letting go of of dependence. It's that stepping through to that next stage that says, all right, let me contribute. And do you know what, that's been something that's really stuck with me in in my personal relationships as well. You know, it, it's that, yeah, it's okay to be reliant on each other. You know, mm. and that's that's not a codependency. That is, that is an interdependency where we are. When we're you know, let, let's strengthen each other. Let's be stronger together. You know, um, it's that it's that synergy that comes. It's like, you know, that everybody on a row, rowing boat. If you've got if everyone's rowing at different times, it's going to be two plus two plus two ors equals eight ors, you know, or six ors. But if you've got the two times two times two, then that's a real different power shift because you've got that synergy of everybody working together. It's that collaboration. It's that supporting each other. It's being greater than the sum of your parts. And I think that teams being, being reliant on each other, committed to that reliance and really contributing to that can really accelerate that. And wow, you know, you you want to see people performing under pressure, doing great things, go and check out a a well-performing kitchen. Amazing stuff.
0: Absolutely. So true. And I agree with you, what you say about relationships in that sense as well. I remember my mum used to doggedly follow my father around so that she knew exactly how to do everything that he could do. It was so important to her that if he wasn't there that she could still be able to do it that she was a, she was capable and actually what it did was it disempowered my father because is that a word by the way disempowered
1: it is now <laughs> <laughs> no it's it,
0: okay i don't know why it didn't sound right when it came out but of course it disempowered my father because therefore there was nothing that he was doing that he could really own and know that he was contributing and helping and making those cogs turn and he was owner of that. So, I, you know, I realise there's a balance here, but it was just something that really kind of came to mind when you were talking about it.
1: Yeah, that sounds That sounds almost like um, that not being committed to that reliance bit, isn't mm. it? But then there's the classic, oh, well, my husband used to look after all the bills. Yeah, It's like a, that, that trope. I think there's in terms of leadership, for me, it it kind of comes back to um, this principle that we have around peeling the potatoes that I think we've spoken about before, maybe mm-hmm. on Beeline, but this idea that, you know, when you, you know, my first job is in a fish and chip shop, and I was taught how to peel the, the potatoes and to chip them ready for the chipper um, by the owner of this string of, of fish and chip shops. And, you know, this, this entrepreneur who was hugely inspiring to me, um, and he was saying you know you, you've got to you've got to have a go at everything just so that you can understand what it is that you're asking people to do mm-hmm. as a leader I think that's really powerful it's kind of like yeah I know you can do it better than me but I just want to understand what it is that you're doing I want to understand a little bit more about mm-hmm. your world so I can rely on you and know that when I'm asking you to do something and you turn around and say look it's not possible for these reasons i can trust that because i've got some kind of frame of reference it's not just pushback, and you're being you know obstructive it's mm-hmm. it's communication it's collaboration it matters
0: we ended the series with andreas luizu
1: <laughs> what a character yeah storytelling creativity getting that thriving in your organization uh, I, I love these these kind of entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial people who can kind of get something happening get something running and and really engage the community I and mean, community engagement is what the classic town hall is all about you know kind of trying to get your your whole team engaged in what it is that we're trying to achieve and to grow a um a festival from like a mm. you know, a couple of events to this huge great big thing in Margate it's uh really impressive but for me it's that that sense of storytelling i mean you know how much i mean how many stories we're we telling here right it's it's storytelling mm-hmm. is the essence of communicating how we can play out these values and bring these principles to life and i think it's an absolutely essential skill for leaders which is why the story is everything to drop the book one more time
0: <laughs> yeah something i didn't know because i know quite a lot about storytelling but is the ethos the pathos And the logos, which I loved. So this is how you structure your story. So the ethos is, I suppose, the ethics, your right to tell that story. The pathos is the empathy and the connectivity with the audience. And the logos, so I suppose the logic and organization, is all about the sort of the choice of words and the structure. If you got all three of those, you're onto a winner in theory i'm sure you can probably make it go horribly wrong if you try hard
1: enough <laughs> well it really makes sense to me in that how many times you know has a story being corrupted and fallen away from the original storyteller because perhaps because the ethos isn't right that the the, the, mm. the ethics the right to tell the story you know it's, it's become secondhand or it's the, the angle twists and suddenly it loses its integrity as a story but if you've you know if you own it it's coming from that right place i think it really makes a big difference and you know relaying experience well mm-hmm. there you go relaying your evaluated experience in the form of a story it speaks a lot to that whole we, we speak a lot about vulnerability in the hive and we've got a few pieces out at the moment uh on the website around what that vulnerability means but the idea of processed vulnerability i'm sharing something which is personal or that makes me vulnerable but I'm sharing I'm not sharing it in the moment because I'm reacting I'm talking about something in the past which I've evaluated and I'm sharing how do you know what I find that overwhelming or when these kinds of things happen I find that difficult so I prefer to do things in this way that there's there's a real different sense to that so mm-hmm. if you can tell us you know I think that that speaks to that that creating the story is, is part of the process of that evaluation needs to go through in order to turn that experience into learning and to transmit that learning to others.
0: When you when you say that, it makes me think that we are, I think, fearful of using that storytelling in a kind of corporate business context, because we feel it's somehow kind of a bit pappy, a bit kind of a bit too colourful, a bit too, you know, why do we need to tell a story? Why don't we just give the facts, give the statistics, you know, but the fact is, that's boring yeah. and as you say there's no context needs to have that and we all need stories stories are absolutely they form us it's who we are as people are the stories we were told as children it's how we learn it's how we learn about what's right and wrong it's simple our whole beings are just a mass of glorious stories
1: and when those stories come from a place which is really real for me this is where this neurocoupling that Andreas was speaking about there's neural coupling between you know when you when you understand your audience and you connect mm. with them and you've got that rapport in place then I mean for me it's mirror neurons is kind of firing all over the place if it's coming from if I'm, if I'm speaking about well for instance you know I, I went to um New Zealand when I was younger and in my 20s and um when you step off the airplane it is it's like taking off a pair of sunglasses you know suddenly the whole the whole world is is bright and colorful and all the rest and all you've done is just step off the airplane compared to where you got on the air is that clear the quality mm. of the of the colors is something really mm. vivid i ran out of words for the word beautiful you know so every time we turned a corner it's like oh wow look at that oh that's amazing isn't that stunning is not that and you just kind of go mm. wow you know another beautiful mountain range or you know these rolling hills or this this you know, flora and fauna that's just so vivid. And all I'm doing here is I'm just talking about this experience, but I'm, I'm speaking about using poor words and not really telling a story as such, but I'm relaying an experience. And so my brain is firing off all this different stuff. And the darn thing is, when I've got connection with an audience, their brains will point to similar experiences in their own frame of reference, it's kind of but that helps them to connect with that story and understand it. Because my neurons are firing your neurons are firing. but if I'm just relaying a story that I've I've just picked up from somewhere or indeed a statistic that I haven't emotionally connected with or I haven't got a sense of that story behind, then none of those neurons are firing It just becomes dry and lifeless and mm. and I think it can almost drain energy because you've got to put energy in mm. to understand its relevance rather yeah. than energizing people with you know with with connection totally
0: agree totally agree excuse me if i seem a little distracted i'm just booking my flights to new zealand um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously oh, oh. Um, <laughs> i really want to go actually but that's just made me really really crave it
1: i was in australia just uh two weeks ago and I, i've got to say just stepping off the plane there kind of made me made me mm. crave that southern hemisphere there's something about that yeah. outdoors lifestyle and that uh, is is really special to... so hello again to all those listeners you know who are currently down under in various different spots around australasia feel free to invite us over really
0: <laughs> yeah we'd love to be there
1: not with Was that, that a... no then uh... so sorry can i make can i make
0: a, a public apology to all our listeners please for that horrific um <laughs>
1: <laughs> all those those flight bookings being cancelled Yeah, the minute yes. we heard it
0: oh. oh dear um so i'm going to ask you a question because there's something that you said during the interview that i didn't quite understand okay. and it you said it's about the quality of the quantitative and the quantity of your qualitative can you explain that
1: of the qualitative
0: what did i say
1: <laughs> qualitative i <Qualitative? laughs> no, yeah something like that. <laughs> do i need to say
0: that again
1: (laughs) (laughs) no i think we should keep it okay i yeah this is this is something that's just become a bit of a trope in all my um my presentations really around storytelling particularly around uh, for sales teams because the worry is that our stories don't feel like they're credible enough if that's not speaking about a real solid KPI that shifted of how we've added value. You know, we we've helped X number of people to achieve Y thing, which has meant this amount on the bottom line, and and so we worry that just a simple experience that we've had with a customer is not something that we can share, but. Actually, those little shared moments, which are true and actually come from the leader or from the salesperson, are the ones that really matter because of the reasons that we just talked about with the whole neuro, mirror neurons and, and neural coupling and all those kinds of things. So for me, it's about giving salespeople and leaders the freedom to speak about that subjective experience, about real interactions and real moments of breakthrough and the human related experience that they've they've somehow helped their clients with. And then also have one really well-researched piece of storytelling that is linked to a KPI that shows a very real number and a metric that they can point to time and time again. So, for instance, with one of our clients, I can talk an awful lot about um sales teams that we've helped and how we've embedded storytelling and how that was useful and some people found that really accelerated their sales process and one person said that's the fastest sales cycle I've I've ever had just through adding in one story and that's a nice thing to hear but I can also talk about how we took one sales team and over the course of 18 months we more than 4x their average total order value of the sales people on that team all right uh, to take the average total order value from 200000 to 850000 over 18 months with a joint effort with their leadership team. But that's something that we were able to significantly contribute to. Now, that that's great. That proves lots of different stuff. But it, it just adds weight to the real human connection that comes in mm. when you tell all these little stories. And so it's about the quantity of your qualitative stories that you can refer to, and about the quality of one quantitative story that you can point got it that backs everything up
0: love it that's great
1: it's about choosing one statistic and bringing it to life with the story but giving yourself freedom to tell stories around that statistic that that your audience can really connect with and relate to
0: so season four
1: I can't wait, frankly, because we've already recorded <laughs> lots of it. And there are so many great stories uh, that come out of that. So many great insights.
0: Yes, such amazing insights. So let's tell everybody who we've got.
1: We've got Deborah Abbott, a hive associate who speaks about her emotional energy scale. It's about how you respond in a situation rather than react.
0: We've got Mark Nesbitt and Thomas Labore talking about leading organisations as you scale up.
1: We've got michael croker who is a leader who just leads in the most human way some extraordinary stories there
0: amazing stories i didn't want to edit any of them out we have justin tan who's all about operationalizing your vision
1: we've worked with justin before great to bring in all that great aspirational leadership stuff and actually get it done We've got two authors who we just had to invite on Beeline and um, that's Katie Desiderio and Michael Frino, authors of The Beekeeper, Pollinating Your Organization for Transformative Growth. A lot of cross-pollination of ideas between the hive and these fantastically well-researched academics.
0: <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, we've got Nick Johnson. He's an award-winning speaker and leadership keynote speaker and he talks a lot about how lonely it is at the top.
1: Great advocate there for mental health. And of course, we've got Nadia Powell, who focuses on diversity, equity and inclusion, the seeds of which, of course, lead to the greatest innovation in organisations.
0: Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I've loved our conversation. So much to talk about. I feel like we've just touched the surface of all of that amazing, amazing insights, those stories, those, the energy that we have seen in the last series is incredible. And I just cannot wait to launch the next season.
1: And a big thank you to our community who are now we're hearing more and more from you. We invite you to join the conversation, to connect with us. If you're listening on Spotify, you can join the conversation and comment at the end of every episode. We'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts. Or of course, you can reach out to us at team at consultthehive.com. And thanks to you, Gemma, our illustrious producer of Beeline. I know you do this above and beyond your role and leadership capacity at The Hive. So I just want to say thank you for everything you put into this. I think we're creating something really quite special. So thanks.
0: Agreed, and I love it. So thank you for the opportunity.
1: So roll on year two and bring on season four.
0: Thank you to all our wonderful guests and listeners for joining us on the Beeline journey. Season 4 will be launching with special guest Deborah Abbott on the 17th of October this year. If you're interested to know more or could do with a reminder about today's episode or any of the other episodes in this series of Beeline, I've collated some notes, links and resources for you to explore and download at www.consultthehive.com forward slash Beeline. The Hive Change Consultancy provides radically effective training, coaching and facilitation that enables a dynamic shift in leaders, sales teams, and entire organizational cultures. Get in touch today for an informal chat with one of our team. My name's Gemma Aston, and you've been listening to Beeline Lead the Way.